Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode 16, recorded April 1st, 2021. And this week's guest is Marianne Mead Ward, the mayor of Burlington, Ontario, which, if you don't know, is a mid-sized city using tech to boost the livability of all its residents. It's another example of smart city policies in action. We'll speak to Mayor Ward in just a sec, but first, here's Grant with the news. All right, Grant, what do you got for your news this time? Uh, lots of good stuff. Um, here's one that I don't think any of us would thought of. Infrastructure. The car sharing. Great idea, right, guys? Well, zip car and all the rest of them, sure. Great idea. Move people around, help congestion, right? Right. Save Wrong. money. We don't have to worry about what? what? Wrong. So the biggest contributor to congestion has been? Car sharing? Correct. And I didn't know that. It's Fast Company. I read an article that uh, talked about that. And essentially, um, what they found is through Google Maps and all that stuff, um, they found that um, because of car sharing, congestion has increased. And what that means, guys, is Uber, which has about 50%, 6% of the marketplace, and I'm quoting this out of my head, and um, Lyft has about 27%, and then you have all the others. They've been tracking them all, and there's been there's twice as much. There's so many Uber drivers that there's twice as much stand time in the city now than ever. I can, I can see that. Which yeah. has caused a very problem with pollution and congestion. And because transit doesn't get people to the, where they want to go, they're, no, they're not going back to transit. They're all using car sharing or they're sharing their own cars. And what has happened now is everything has changed. So now before we thought, and I still think by long term, we thought, oh, this is great. Um, we have this new great idea. Everyone's going to share rides. It's contributed to the worst congestion in a long time. So um, I knew you'd answer that way. And I, was, I wasn't trying to be the smart ass, but um, I mean... No, and the other issue is that nobody really wants to take public transit in a time of COVID. So people are buying cars so they can have their own personal space if they have to go from one place to another. You got it. You got it. And 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 I and I, and I understand. I, I get it. COVID's changed it and, and may not come back. I don't know. But it's interesting that with one thing we saw we saw, we produce another problem. And so we'll work through that. And, and that kind of leads me into my next news of another problem that, um, that is being solved by um, applications. And, and so, so as you know, guys, we're all green and we want to be green. And, and because of all this traffic ingestion problems, um, I don't know, Gold, if you can know, but Google's um, Drive app did a major update. I don't know. I'd, I'd say, I don't know what day, guys. Last week. I don't know. But did a major update. And it had all kinds of new applications. But the one that caught my eye was the most was their green driving app. So now what it does when you go to Google and you want to um, um, use Google Maps, 
Mm-hmm. It tells you the greenest route to drive, not the fastest route. Okay, hang no. on. Let, let me pull this up then. Okay, <laughs> yep. so, so you go on there, and what it says now is um, the greenest route from here to here is this, and it'll take X amount of time, but you'll save you'll save the the uh, ecosystem, and it tells you how long it'll take going the green route, <laughs> and, and that's what's doing now. It's called shows you the slowest routes. Um, that's the newest thing now. So what it does, it um, instead of showing the fastest routes, it shows the greenest routes. And I have it on my phone, but I didn't look it until I read about it because I get a- a- updates all the time. But can you imagine that people now are taking slower routes to avoid um, congestion and pollution? But think of it, guys. It kind of falls back into what I just talked about and that if people are doing that, isn't that going to queue up the congestion and make it better? And, and people are now saying, okay, I'll take that extra 15 minutes and go through this area because, you know, there's less cars. It's a nice view. It's this. And that's what they've done now. And I think I wanted to lead this into the last one on purpose because I hmm. think there is the, the what, what people are doing. Okay, we got this problem. We think people will like this. Do, do I think they like it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have no idea, but I do know that it's a big change. And um, when Google did their update, Alan, it was the biggest update they've ever done to Maps. So apparently there's over 100 different new things. Interesting. It t- I haven't looked at any because you know why? <laughs> I switched the ways. <laughs> <laughs> right? We stay home, but I switched the ways. So I probably got to go back and see what Google Maps is doing now. Well, it, it, I, I can tell you right now that the uh, the greenest way to your place from my place is uh, 13 minutes. There you go. Isn't that, but, but you know what? Oh. I know you and I, I I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to do this. So some won't, but I'm all for it. And so um, I think, although simple, well, I don't know how simple it is. You got to remap everything. But I think it's a big new thing. And it just goes back to say what I said before. You have a new idea, creates a different problem, and then a new idea comes to solve that problem. And, of course, now, hey, you're driving by my house every day. I don't like it. I know something's going to happen. But my point is, it's amazing how fast that we can solve these issues because of technology. Yeah, look at that. Interesting. I like it. Yeah, I know. It's new. I think it's pretty cool. I think everyone should go online and look at it because I think it really is cool. Um, and I'm going to go, since we're going to skip, we're going to keep talking about apps today. Okay, because the next one I'm talking about is what we'll call it is spyware. And um, the biggest problem in the industry right now, okay, is, and you know, from people like Binary Defense or a cybersecurity company, is all about the problems with the smartphone. Okay, Um, and that is um, pretty well everything that is going on now, they can spy on you. And when I say everything, I guess probably the best way to say it is um, your favorite apps are probably the worst apps you should have. Well, okay. So let's go, let's, let's go back. The number one is, is of course is Facebook. Yeah. Because they know everything about you and they know uh, 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 location awareness and everything. And, and the fact is that most people don't know what they're really giving them. Um, the minute you give location and your information, that's sold off to people. And you're way out there on so many things that can go wrong, not right. 
And when people go on to apps, I'll give you another app. So one, one app you should never have on your phone. Now you're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to tell you. Never have the scanner app on your phone. What, the, the QR scanner? Correct. Why? It's because that's the worst one in the world. For that, what? Because it takes over your, your you know, I don't know if you know this, it takes over your camera. Yes. For good. And it tracks everything you're doing, except for really scanning the app that well. Um, and it is open to the most viruses. So there's viruses now that are designed for Q code scanning. And when you go in there, it opens up a port that invites viruses. This is what okay. the assholes are doing. It invites viruses, okay? So you'll have hundreds of coming in just by having that. So if you're going to do that, you make sure that you have it in the application where it cannot see things unless the app is on, and you shut the app off. And you control the app. And that's the big problem with all these applications is that too many people say yes to everything. Well, and what's know, happening now is it's getting really bad. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at mine and I, I open it up and it says, uh, it says clear history. Why, why, would, <laughs> why would my, why would There's my QR history? Scanner? Oh, because it has tons. It has tons. Clear and, history. And, Thank yeah, you. But here, here's, a, here's a problem though. Here's a problem. You don't know when you say clear history, you may be doing something else with your phone. Well, See, when be. you do commands with applications, they write code that turns those commands into viruses. And people don't know that. They're all excited because they have all these applications. And until someone comes out with a true cybersecurity net that nobody has, that I know some companies now that are working on it, um, we are we are really, really leaving ourselves open. And I'm going to tell you, um, I can go from scan software. I can go better to, um, like I said, Facebook is by far the worst. Okay. And you can shut off a lot of things at Facebook. People don't know that. They just don't do it. And we can go all the way down the path. But the funny part is, if I was to rate the top 10 worst, guess who would not be on there? I don't know who. Yeah. And you'd, you'd die. Google. They're not evil? They're not. No, no, no. Google's on there for a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you, phishing apps, they are not on. And um, that is the truth. Um, Google, yes, owns. We know they own 90% of the Internet. But I'm going to tell you, that's search stuff. I am telling you now, the data that you get is not from Google. It's from Google links you somewhere. And so when you go on to this site or you, you agree to this stuff, you're opening up your phone to all kinds of cyber attacks, which gets into your bank accounts and so on, and you don't even know it. And always say this, guys, the free apps are the ones you worry about the most. They're, they're free for a reason, okay? Oh, yeah, because you give them something. Oh, you give them a lot, not something. You give them a lot because they couldn't stay in business with just something. So when they get that data, it's not just sold to a department store. It's sold to Pilsen filching companies, they will use that data to steal. Okay. So all I'm telling people is when you download, read what you're agreeing to. Don't agree to have your app uh, being live to everyone when you're not using it, which everyone does. Only agree to use it when it's turned on and make sure you turn it off. Okay. Now, how do you get rid of these, most of these applications? It's real simple, guys. Honestly, this is what you don't know. 
when you update a program, say even your scanning program, it'll do, the other stuff goes away. So when you update, just do the update from the real company, it'll wipe out all the other stuff and then run it as normal. But what I'm saying to everybody here is this is the biggest problem in the world and everyone's simply helping it along. And you really got to stop doing that. And if you go online, I can tell you there are so many um, applications out there that are just killing us. Uh, and and it's, it's, the ironic part is um, it's the stuff that kind of the stuff we don't want. Digital fraud, so you know, is number one. Okay, and now remember this. Mobile devices account for 60 to 70% of all digital fraud. And how's it from? Filching attacks, stolen passwords. Okay, I'm just telling you. And, and so, therefore, you need to be very, very careful, okay? Because it's the number one thing, and it's all the popular stuff. You know, I'm just going through my Facebook settings right now. Delete, <laughs> delete, turn off, turn off. The more you depend on the phone on everyday tasks, the more impact your device is being compromised. Yeah. How about I'll leave that? I'll leave it that way. And you guys yeah. can think about that. One. Great. Um, now you can just rock me to sleep again tonight. Thank you very well, much. I, hey, hey, yeah, I, hey, we're here to help. And, uh, <laughs> right, right, Alan? Um, technology we're promoting is for the good. And that's what we want. So that's the end of the news today. After a couple of stints as a city councillor, Marianne Ward was elected mayor of Burlington, Ontario in 2018. If you don't know, Burlington is a city of about 200,000 near the western edge of Lake Ontario. And Burlington constantly scores very, very high when it comes to rating cities with the highest rate of livability. And you can't get there without being a smart city. We spoke to Mayor Ward from her home, which, uh, well, was in Burlington, of course. So we're, we're glad to have the mayor of Burlington with us. Uh, Burlington is, is a tremendously beautiful city on Lake Ontario, for people who don't know. I used to live in Waterdown, so I would come down to Burlington for, for everything. because it's the big it, city. It was the big city. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've since moved to Oakville, but I look back at uh, Burlington and I see what a lovely place it's become along the lake and with the downtown and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, how, how did Burlington in the time that I left, <laughs> how did it, how did it become so nice? Uh, well, they have a great mayor, so, you know, <laughs> no. we should bring uh, it, we should bring her on. No, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk to her. Uh, it, it's, uh, actually you could be our, uh, new tourism ambassador. That, that was a great <laughs> intro. For Burlington, uh, you know what I—I uh, I used to live in Toronto. I'm not from there, but we moved to Burlington uh, because it has amazing natural features. It's got the waterfront, uh, our bookends. It's got the waterfront, and it's got the uh, Niagara Escarpment, which is a world biosphere reserve. I'm a hiker. I'm an outdoor person, so my husband and I used to drive out from Toronto regularly to uh, to enjoy the natural beauty. And we have a sand beach in our downtown like a sand beach. It's, it's absolutely spectacular. Uh, so those were sort of the natural assets, if you will, but the people are amazing. They're very down to earth, 
we really wanted a, a community where people would know your name, uh, you know your shopkeepers, you shop local, the the teachers, the you know, restaurant owners live around the corner from you and everybody knows your name, kind of like Cheers. And that's exactly what Burlington is. So it's a very special uh, place and it's uh, attracting a lot of growth because a lot of people want to live here. So we're having to manage that. Well, I can certainly understand why. I mean, you've got two big malls, which services just about everything you need. You got an Apple store, which is really <laughs> Uh, Spencer Smith Park is is a fantastic place. I've been there for the Sound of Music Festival. I've been there for the Rib Fest every year. Uh, you've got some nice development along the lakeshore that really doesn't interfere with with too many things. Uh, Joseph Brand Hospital has has been expanded. Uh, the selection of restaurants in the downtown area makes you know Oakville look sick. Um, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> well, hold on. Let, let's talk about this first. Um, we haven't asked why you decided to be mayor and what brought you to do this and background. I think I want to, like, it's very important because we're talking about undisputably, I mean, indisputably, I guess, or arguably, but top city in the country. Yeah. How did somebody come from, from Toronto, a, a Toronto resident, end up being the, the mayor of Burlington? So I'm actually um, a, a U.S. A dual citizen. So uh, that's a whole story in, in and of itself, but I grew up along the coast of California in the back of a camper and, and, uh, living in places like Yellowstone park. And so, I, I'm guessing parents were hippies. <laughs> My dad was a park ranger with, with wanderlust. So I think was, that's so cool. I, I learned, uh, how to spell in the front of a truck going switchbacks up a mountain to distract me from the fact that at any moment we could go over the side. So there you go. <sighs> I, I learned I learned my letters that way, uh, but in the uh, the '60s, in the chaos of the '60s in the U.S. and the Vietnam War and the draft, uh, there's three three uh, girls in my family and a boy. Uh, they had the option because my dad was the Canadian. He was uh, studying in the U.S., met married my mom, and stuck around for a while. But they decided to come back to Canada, a little you know calmer, gentler uh, place to live. And I would still say that's true. By the yes. Way. Yes. Um, my family's all moved back to the U.S., uh, so I'm the only Canuck here. I fell in love with a Canadian guy, so uh, so there you have it. But uh, when we moved, we moved to the beach area of Toronto. Uh, we lived in Kingston for a time. I went to KCVI right downtown, loved the waterfront in Kingston. We then moved to Ottawa, did my journalism degree in Ottawa. So I'm used to historic communities. I'm used to water. And I'm used to, you know, back in the day, Ottawa was a bit of a mid-sized community. It's changed now, but I could go to the Byward Market in Ottawa and run into people I knew. And so I, I liked that feeling of a mid-sized city. I liked being near nature and near the water for sure. And so we were living in Toronto uh, in a 12-foot wide house. I was pregnant with twins and had a two-year-old. We were, we were in a two-bedroom <laughs> So we, we literally outgrew it. Like I was, I was, you know, almost not going to be able to fit through the door with the twins. So we started looking around and because we, we loved the water and the nature in Burlington and it was that community feel. It was that, it just felt like every place I'd ever been. And so we moved here 20 years ago. So that's how I kind of landed here. It's not, it's not my uh, city by birth. It's my city by choice. And I don't regret that choice at all. So when did the mayoral run begin? 
So I was uh, for 20 some odd years a journalist. And I would say the reason that I became a journalist is the same reason I became or ran for elected office, which was to uh, make a difference, to change the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as a journalist, I wanted to do that with my words, with my stories. And at a certain point, I I became a columnist, uh, uh, a broadcaster, a talking head, if you will, and got very used to, uh, for the last half of my career, telling other folks what they should do to make the world a better place. And I realized, you know what, I really want to actually be the one <laughs> making those decisions. I want to I be the one casting those votes and actually get in there to do the things. So I uh, ran for elected office for city council in 2006 and lost. I ran for mm. provincial elected office the, f- the very next year and lost, uh, but realized I loved it and loved talking to the people, loved, loved knocking on doors, getting to know my community neighbors, learning about the history of the place. And, you know, people laugh uh, when I talk about Burlington because they think I've been born here. And it, I haven't. Uh, I studied it. I, I listened to the stories of those people. So I know the history very deeply and and love it so uh then 2010 rolled around we were in another municipal election and i knew this is what i wanted to do uh and and so i ran and in that case uh one i beat an incumbent with a majority vote with four other people on the ballot so it was quite a significant victory and and i would say it was a huge win and the two elections prior I don't consider those failures. I consider those training grounds that help me learn about the community, learn about the city, and of course, learn to ha- learn to be a better campaigner. <laughs> so. Boy, Alan, sounds like a technology guy. <laughs> yeah, so that change was the world, fun. make yeah. mistakes. My, exactly. uh, my 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 dad was the mayor of a very small town in the prairies. And, awesome. Uh, well, no, it wasn't because oh. we would get called. We would get calls at three o'clock in the morning saying, hey, my neighbor's dog is barking. Can you do something about it? I love yeah. it. What are you talking about? That's like the movies. I think that's great. <laughs> it is. It is. Hey, cool. we, used, we used to get some really interesting letters in the mail with, you know, my dad's picture taken out of the local newspaper with a bullet hole through the forehead. And that oh, that's not funny. Good. Well, that's Please. not funny. But, but hey, that, hey, that's, hey. Not, that, that's not cool. Although. No, that's the prairies. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm trying to say is that it's much different being a mayor these days, especially in your particular position, because you have a city of what, about a 200, about 200,000. 200, yeah. And uh, you're entrusted with uh, the care and feeding of it, as well as shepherding its growth in, at a time when things, especially in the greater Toronto area, are absolutely exploding with population and uh, new requirements for its citizens. It is. It, it, it's been the biggest issue that Burlington has had to face. And it was actually the singular issue, the defining issue, rather, of the 2018 election. And that's ah, been, OK, OK. I was going to ask that. What was the defining I, I didn't issue? Get to that. Yeah, yeah that, that was the defining issue. And so I was a counselor for two terms. Uh, 2010 ran again in 2014 uh, and and won again with a increased majority. And then we started. Uh, a review of our city's official plan, which is exactly what tells you how much growth goes where. You don't have a lot of room. We are built out. And in fact, Burlington is half rural. People don't know that. So we get the rural experience as well as the urban experience here in Burlington. And we have a very strong commitment not to expand our urban boundary. We don't want to eat into our farmland. 
and mm. our agricultural areas. And so we are built out. We have to grow within half of our land base. Here okay. So, so you have what's, what's largely a bedroom community, which grew as, as, as low density. Uh, now you have to increase densification. We do. That's yes, got to be. We do. And there's a way to do it. So. Um, well, yeah, I think we're jumping. I still want to know what was the formula to become number one? In Burlington? Yeah. How, how, like, how do you go? Well, you beat out Oakville. Come on. We, and we so, did. So, and that's, hey, good for you. But um, but what was the formula? Why you go from, honestly, people didn't know about Burlington. I did because, you know, I, I boat to the beach and drop anchors. So I love it over there. Mm-hmm. But what was the formula? Like, why are you recognized in the top five? Well, number one, but even the top five in Canada. Why? Well, it's all the things we talked about. It, it's actually for a mid-sized city, you have everything at a really big size city scale. And, and in terms of, you know, car, uh, culture, recreation, um, uh, natural amenities, restaurants, you have those at, at a level that you wouldn't expect in a smaller mid-sized community. And yet you still have the, the friendliness of a mid-sized community. And so you get the best of both worlds. You have big, big city amenities in a, with a small town feel is the best way to describe it, housed in a spectacular natural environment. So the, when we won number one that year, uh, it was like the world and, and the people who were doing those surveys discovered mid and small towns. Almost everyone in the top five was a small town or a mid-sized city because people were yearning for connection. They were yearning for that, you know, I want to know who I'm doing business with. I want to know who lives on either side of me. I don't want that anonymous, impersonal, big city experience. That works for some people. But for a lot of people, especially when you're in your, uh, you know, when you're raising a family, you want connection with your community. And so what Burlington has, which is really amazing and great, is we've got that sweet spot of people living here that is the employer's dream. It is those, you know, the, the people that have started their family, they've, they've got a bit of experience in their career, but they've got, you know, 20 years of uh, expertise to give to a company. That's the employer that every company is chasing. And we have it here in Burlington. Now, let's get back to that question of density. Uh, how are you going to intensify things in, in, a, in, a, in a way where you've got long term bedroom community people who don't necessarily want a 40-story apartment block or, or a condo in their neighborhood. So we, it's all about what goes where, right? And that that's the essence of urban planning. And so there's a place for tall buildings in Burlington, and there's a place where they shouldn't be. So the 2018 election was about where it should go and where it should not go. People, uh, the previous council wanted to put 30 high-rises right downtown Burlington. That would have blown apart the small-town field, the historic... 30? High rises? 30. Up, that's right. That's what the plan that was approved called for. And so that. Where? Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. It's stupid. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Within about but a 20, 20 block radius from roughly Fairview down to the lake, all along Grand Street no, and on no, either no, no, side. No. So, yeah, it was. And, and the applications were coming in thick and fast. Some of those are still being. Uh, fought over at the local planning appeal tribunal where the city has turned some of them down. But where what I said in the, the election is we can have modest mid-sized 
you know, buildings in the downtown that don't, that actually incorporate heritage. We've seen some of those applications come forward where there was a heritage building. And I live downtown, by the way, uh, so I know the area very well. But but there was an application for a six-story building that incorporated an old historic cottage. It was it was fabulous. It's exactly the kind of growth that we want to see. And there were about 15 units in that. So there's a place for more gentle or or right size uh, development in the downtown but where we want to see the the you know the high rises is along our go stations and that's fully aligned with provincial policy so you want to put the bulk of your population where there's regional transit express rail we have three go stations in burlington and we have uh, currently being built uh, a thousand units at our burlington go station in five towers ranging up to 26 stories there mm-hmm. is an application mm-hmm. currently before uh, the city for seven towers just a little way down the road from that that development up to 30, 35 stories out at Aldershot, similar uh, scale. And there's a mix there. There's some townhouses. There's some ground-oriented built into the the you know the ground floor of some of these high rises. So so there is choice. So if people want to live in a in a townhouse, they you know, expect to have something stacked above you, but you can still have your own ground-oriented uh, housing. So, so that's where the bulk of new growth will come in Burlington, and we can accommodate as much as sixty thousand new people. Wow! Uh, along our three ghost stations, so we don't have to eat into green space. We don't have to blow apart established neighborhoods. And then, when you get to established neighborhoods on the periphery of those. There is a role for townhouses. We're seeing a number of townhouse developments uh, come forward that have been approved by this council. Uh, some semis, but it's mostly towns or uh, or mid-sized buildings, four-story, six-story, eight-story. So, you know, there's a place for it all in Burlington, but it's everything in its place. And that's what the key is. With, with COVID, are you seeing ex-Toronto residents moving out this way? We've seen that for a long time. Uh, and yes, it's accelerated everywhere through the GPHA. Uh, I mean, our real estate was on fire before COVID, and now it's it's bidding wars for everything. And and I actually I was just reading. Uh, there's a community group uh, called Burlington Together, Burlington Together on Facebook, and somebody was talking about their experience a day or two ago that they put in a an offer on a townhouse that was fifty thousand above asking, and the owners were insulted by that. <laughs> no, 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 hold on. But uh, my, Jordan, as you know, Alan, my mm. son just bought a place in, in Burlington and his realtor would say, like, let's say they're asking $700,000. He'd say, yeah, but you got to bid 900. Yeah. Well, then why is it 700? Because they yeah. won't take it. Well, I know there'll be 20 bids. Yeah. That's what's happening. It, it it's, is. And Burlington is kind of like the choice right now. Um, it and, is. It is. I mean, it's plain simple. And with with 15 minute service, which we've had for some time uh, in Burlington to downtown Toronto during peak hours, that's what really fueled it. As soon as as soon as we got that, that kind of created the first first wave of real estate on fire. And with COVID and people only now having to go in once or twice a week or not at all people have figured out that they can live here and have a completely different quality of life. And that's, you know, to your question earlier about what's so great about Burlington, you have everything you need 
and you have uh, a friendly community and, and great neighbors. I mean, people across the city talk about how great their neighbors are and how everybody knows each other and looks out for each other. And it's very small townish in that way, even though we're in one of the fastest growing regions in the country. Now, this is a, a technology podcast primarily. We, we realize that technology plays a big, big part in the future of cities. But uh, smart cities can be great initiatives that are, you know, simply social. You don't have to get really, really technical. But uh, let's talk about some smart cities initiatives that we're seeing in Burlington. What does that mean for you? We have a lot of them. Uh, and and it's about it's about using technology for a couple of things to make a great experience for people. And I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, it's also about tracking data so you can make good decisions for spending. And that's really important. Hmm. Uh, and tracking data so you can make uh, the experience better for people, whether they're using your parks or your transit. So, for example, um, we have a park in our rural area, Lowville Park. And uh, as you know, every park through COVID in the summer was packed. It was packed. And so I sit on the board of Conservation Halton and they uh, they pioneered a they built their own uh, reservation system. So you could reserve your parking space in a park to, to control crowds because what they were seeing is people were showing up and it was no longer safe. They weren't able to physically distance. So they shut the parks for a while. Uh, and then they were shut by provincial mandate. And in that period, they built this uh, whole reservation system to make the experience for people better. So you knew when you got there, there would be a parking space. You didn't have to park on the road and get a ticket, which is not a happy experience. And you weren't going to be overcrowded. And so we were we were experiencing those exact same issues with Lowell Park. And uh, the other thing with the, with the CH system is it allowed them to track where people were coming from. So they that's important. Who's who's using the parks? Right? How far are people willing to travel? Exactly, um, is a big deal. And then you know, as Alan, you know, we do that in a in much bigger systems, but it's the same thing. And I guess from Burlington, um, and, and I, I know we're going to talk technology, of course, but um, you've got networks have to be expanded. Five G networks, the availability of Wi Fi, um, the ability to connect the downtown both from transit to to parking to enforcement. Um, is that a big initiative in the city? How do we get this network? Because that's a big expense. Remember, we got COVID and now we got to spend money, infrastructure. Where do you put that in your, in your line of uh, priorities? So uh, rural broadband, because as, as I mentioned earlier, Burlington is half rural. We have people who can't participate in their job, in their school, in city meetings. Everything's virtual and online if they don't have ah. rural broad broadband. So, so that kind of connectivity with technology isn't just about the technology. It's about people's ability to participate in their community have a sure, say on decisions sure. being made, literally hold a job, right? Uh, go to school when the schools were closed and there was only online learning. And so what one of the silver linings from the pandemic is that the issue of rural broadband was, well, we'll get to it in 2030 or, you know, we'll get around yeah. to it. It, it. It became a, a back burner issue that jumped immediately to the front burner. And we now have announcements. We just got an announcement about 
uh, rural broadband in Halton because uh, we've got Halton Hills, we've got half of Milton is still rural and half of Burlington is still rural. We have a lot of rural land here in Halton, right on the edge of uh, all the all the urban areas. So, so that's I would say one of the silver linings of of the pandemic is that it's forced us to look more closely about the benefits of technology, not just for data collection but for inclusion. Right. It really is truly about social inclusion and participation. What other things have been accelerated by COVID? So digital, everything related to digital. We we had, uh, uh, you know, when I first became mayor, I wanted to focus on eliminating red tape and rolling out the red carpet for our businesses. And so I initiated the Red Tape Red Carpet Task Force. We met with developers, businesses, um, mom and pops to find out what their issues were. And one of the things that rose right to the top was we need to be able to submit applications digitally. We need to be able to track our applications. Basic, so basic and not done. And it was always one of those, well, it costs a lot of money and technology is expensive. There's no doubt about it. There's an upfront, short term, short term, significant. There's a significant upfront capital cost and investment, and so it was one of those things that always got backburnered because we had another way to do it. And so, you know, other issues just always jumped in front of that one. And then when COVID hit, it was well, I guess we're doing it now. <laughs> it's amazing, it. yeah, we're, it's, doing, um... we're doing it, and so you find a way. Well, I have a personal experience. I needed the sticker on my license plate renewed. And instead of going and standing at a Service Ontario office for hours, exactly, I, I did it online and I got it in the mail. Exactly, it was awesome. It yeah. is, it is awesome. And for people that are busy, which we all are, to not have to go in person to something. I mean, oh one of, God, one of the things I love is everything. I do everything online now. So you know, we were we were talking about you know your you were talking about your experience uh, as a as a prairie mayor's kid. My my family wouldn't go won't go grocery shopping with me. They won't go anywhere uh, outside our house with me because I get stopped and I I don't move very quickly. So so I've now discovered things like Instacart and you know <laughs> sure, the, the sure. come to me and I think this this app didn't exist six months ago. It just it just wasn't there or it was so cost prohibitive. To, because there were so few players in that space, but now everybody's doing it. And so I, I do not have to step out my, outside my door to get anything. And the time savings of that, the quality of life savings of that. Quality of life. I think that's a big so one. It, it's very significant. And, you know, if I want to go to a store, I can. But, um, you know, I'd rather when I go out, uh, do something more, more social than, than utilitarian. How are you going to handle, because we know that Oakville has a lot of great events soon, coming soon in the spring. Have you started planning for those? How do you handle, because they don't just draw people from Burlington. They draw people from everywhere. We all go to those rib fests and all those things. Uh, are you already having meetings of how is this going to happen? Technically, how are we going to present this, control it, move people around? Is that already started? So we... Actually, last year, we turned our Canada Day celebration into a virtual celebration and, and won an award from Festivals and Events Ontario for, uh, for, for, for doing that. So it was great. Uh, we also won an, this, another award for our reverse Santa Claus parade. So people didn't line up in large gatherings to watch Santa. Santa came to your neighborhood. 
And you didn't really know when Santa was going to come uh, because we didn't want people, you know, coming from other parts of the city, sure. right? Uh, so it was one of those like, where is Waldo thing? And the, the community really embraced it. They're like, let's see if it's our neighborhood this week. And you would get, you know, very little notice, but everyone's home. So it didn't matter. Uh, and it was wildly successful. So this year, um, we've, we've kind of established a threshold that until the province has said it's safe for people a thousand or more to gather, our events simply can't run. We would have 400,000 people at Sound of Music. Yes, we we yeah. have the largest rib fest in the country here in Burlington. And so those major events are just not going to happen this year. And and they also take a lot of runway. It's not the kind of thing that you can go, oh, That's great, why I asked. It's green yeah. light in May, let's put on this event in June. You, you know, it's a year of planning. So, so a lot of those bigger events simply are not going to happen in the same way. But almost all of them are planning either pop-up, local, small, or virtual, or a combination of all of the above. So they're figuring out how to still deliver an experience. When you say they, who's they? Who's well, they? The, well, the Sound of Music, for example. Okay. Uh, so they they are the ones that did a four, you know, the four-day Sound of Music festival that would draw people across the country, free. The only free music festival in the country. And, and great acts over four days uh, yeah. down to Spencer Smith Park. So obviously that's not going to happen this year. It, it, it didn't happen last year either. But what they're uh, what they've done, they just did a, a concert with Helix and Monster Truck online and raised a ton of money. And uh, so people, you know, I guess it's a little like watching TV, but it's live. The, the band was live, playing live in our theater, socially distanced with plastic barriers and the whole nine yards. But we're all used to this different experience now. It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it yeah. is. So, you know, and so you can you can sit at home and, you know, with your beverage of choice and not worry about driving home and all that stuff. So, you know, there's, there's advantages to it. Uh, but Sound of Music is looking at, the possibility of, you know, what can we do on a smaller scale uh, mm. this summer? And, mm. and, you know, we're not sure what that's going to look like. We'll find out. But, you know, everyone is trying to adapt and still do something, but within the parameters of safety and obviously the provincial regulations, which, uh, you know, right now are pretty strict. There is a lot that needs to be done with smart infrastructure and building everything out. Uh, transportation, clean energy, communications, healthcare. How do you prioritize? So we have kind of gone where the need and where the itch is, right? You scratch the itch. So when we discovered that uh, we needed to go digital with permits and city services because of COVID, that became top of the list. In the example I gave you with Lovell Park, where people were showing up, it was a gong show of parking. People were getting tickets. It was unsafe. We borrowed the um, we borrowed the Conservation Halton uh, technology that they built and adapted it to our park. It's free, but now you know when you come, you've got a parking space waiting for you, and you're not going to get a ticket, and it's not going to be crowded. And and so that jumped to the top because it was a need. It was an issue we needed to solve like immediately. It couldn't. It couldn't wait. Uh, with um, you know, and then you look at what what your goals as a city are. So we have a very transit friendly city, and so one of the investments that we made even pre COVID was collecting uh, data of people riding the bus. Where were they getting off? Where were they getting on? Uh, we've, we were an early adopter, a pilot project uh, for the, um, uh, the pass, 
the Metro Pass, right? That that is good. Uh, presto. Anywhere. Presto Pass. The presto Pass. We were one of the six municipalities way back in the day to say, yeah, we'll we'll trial that because we we see the value in in a seamless. You know, I tap it here to get on the bus, and then I tap it here to go to the go. Uh, our community kind of tells us what's important to them, and and sure. you know, I hear from it. I I hear from people about their priorities, and then I better get on it. So. Um, you know, so we now have, uh, we have a really extensive data collection for transit so we can build a transit system that goes where people want to go. It's a more efficient system. It makes better use of tax dollars. It, it get it, we have happier riders because it's a more efficient, uh, straightforward system. We used to have this meandering system that didn't work for anybody. And, and so the data has helped inform those decisions, uh, and it also connects to a real-time app where people can say, when is my bus coming? Again, that is directly beneficial to the customer experience of riding the bus. If you want people to use transit, you have to make it uh, a happy experience for them. And, and, and dead on, that's been our problem. I mean, people keep saying, why do we lose so much money on transit? Um, it's because we are not providing people the convenience they need to take transit. And when we do, it'll work. It'll work. It does work. Uh, and, you know, we obviously have connections into our go stations because, uh, you know, pre-COVID, a lot of people did commute into Toronto. And so you build a system to serve that commuter traffic in the morning and then you have different routes uh, midday, again, to get people where you need to go. But we if you track the data, you can figure out what your riders need. And, and so we had just before COVID, after years of declining ridership, we had a 16% increase in ridership. Wow. Okay. Okay. Hold on. That's, that's a phenom. Um, it, is. it was I study it a lot, right? Um, well, that should be, I don't know. We need to make her premier. Like, I mean, <laughs> that's what we got to do. Okay. I mean, I've been saying that, I've been, look, I've been saying that forever. Okay. Um, being, that's my whole, my whole background. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. I'm going to tomorrow. We'll let them know you start tomorrow, but, but no, really. I mean, that's the stuff stuff that nobody's doing. And I don't know, and I get the bureaucracy, guys. I mean, I'm not a politician, obviously. And it's very tough to do things in the bureaucratic world. And I'm fortunate that I do what I want. Um, but at the same time, I saw a lot of things change which during COVID, which proves you can do it. Absolutely. Like, people did things that, oh, you can't do it. But you did it. We need to see that more in the political world or in the bureaucratic world that you can do it and just focus and get it done. And Absolutely. you just gave a good example. So Well, and, and one of the other things that we did, which helped increase our numbers, is that we made transit free for seniors during off-peak hours. We made it free for kids 12 and under. And uh, just before the pandemic, we were going to continue to add more groups free. We also made it free for low income. So we had an arrangement with Halton Region to where they covered half the cost of a bus pass for low-income folks. Uh, we covered the other half. See, so see again, smart, very so smart. Happy Jeez. people. There's no barrier to ride the bus, but we still ask people to get a pass. And the reason we did, uh, and then we'd have promotions. We'd give them away because the cards cost six bucks. Uh, but there was no cost. They would tap it though, so we would know. Data, how many people are riding the bus? How many young people are taking advantage of this? And what we discovered was was our ridership from seniors skyrocketed. Of course, you would. Of course, that would happen. So, 
you know, it, it's always been understood that transit is, uh, has an inverse relation to price. If you charge more, you're going to get fewer riders. If you charge less, you're going to get more riders. It's really quite simple, but we have the data now to prove it. And between the changes we made to the routes because we had data to inform them and the free transit for those groups of folks, that's what delivered a 16% increase. Like it would just, it was absolutely mind blowing when we got the data and then COVID hit. And then <laughs> then we lost half our riders. But everyone, but but here's funny, and we'll yeah. talk offline. Um, but one of the things we developed, as Alan knows, is MoveBe, which was designed to link transportation and give credits and to different ages and groups through merchants and people. So that's an application. And we're rolling it out in Toronto now with about 80,000 users. But the idea was what you just said. And I think people haven't looked at enough that you have to know the mix to offer to. And then once you know the mix, you can get them to do things. Absolutely. But remember, safety is important too. I mean, um, we want people to feel secure and safe. Technology makes you safe. But the idea of the technology is not to be tied to it. It's only to give that person the ability to know they feel comfortable doing something. It's not you have to have it because you're going to get beat up. We know that. But the fact is, if technically I know I'm safe, I have a better frame of mind. That's all that is. Absolutely. And and making uh, experiences, at the end of the day, it's to make an experience better uh, for people using whatever it is, your park, your parking, your transit, your transportation network, make it seamless and uh, and they'll use it and they'll be happier for it. So that's, you know, that's yeah, all. I'm with you. Well, let's let's hope that other mayors and other councillors uh, actually watch this and, and take up. Well, she's going to be premier next, so we don't uh, have to worry. Our next one's going to be premier, so it's going to be great. I, I'm going to stay mayor for a while. I, I really like it. <laughs> no, it's been really, really great. Like and, it. uh, it's nice to hear. Yeah, it's yeah, been great. Thank, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for the insight and uh, best wishes and everything to do with, you know, Burlington going forward. Thank you so much. And uh, when we can, I will invite you out to one of our fine patios uh, on the water. Listen, uh, I never miss Ribfest. I never miss Sound of Music. But, me neither, uh, so it doesn't matter. I'm the same way. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice to talk with you both. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. We'll be back soon with another program featuring more smart people and their ideas for connecting us through smart technologies. Feedback's always welcome. You can send everything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And please check out our website, thesmartcity.blog, for past programs, as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.